Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, we're in Joshua. For those of you who have been following on, if you're a visitor here, we've been looking at a series in the book of Joshua, um, looking at this Choose This Day as, as God begins to work and stir our hearts towards something new, something that He's drawing us into. There's a whole lot of choices we can make. And we've come from Joshua 6. We've come from Jericho, uh, where Israel has walked around the walls and walked into a great victory. And today we land at Joshua chapter 7. Uh, we've gone from the place of, of exaltation, which is the Jordan River where Joshua is exalted, uh, to the place of preparation, which is Gilgal, where we see uh, circumcision and Passover, uh, to the place of God's manifestation, which is the power of Jericho. And you would think that this is going to be the place of continuation, where victory just keeps on rolling. But instead, what we see is devastation. Let's go to chapter 7. We'll read and we'll dive into it. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, everyone say Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but when they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them, I always find that weird why it says about 36. Was it 36 or was it about 36? I looked that up in the Hebrew and everything, and it's about 36. I don't know why. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Friends, this is an extremely unexpected turn of events. You've just walked around, well, you've literally just walked through the waters of the Jordan and you've walked around the walls of Jericho and they've come tumbling down. Now you look upon I and you think, let's go take that. And what you encounter is the opposite of what you expect to encounter. And I want to speak today in chapter 7 on the title, Lessons from the Loss. Lessons from the Loss. Many years ago when I was spending my time as a teacher and I was, I was coaching, uh, coaching basketball, who likes basketball in this place? Love a game of basketball. Uh, we, uh, we had a bit of success. And in 2009 we won a state championship as a school. And so we put together a, a group and because it's, it's high school basketball, so you have year 10, 11, 12, and you sort of build your team from the ground up and you keep moving through. And our 2009 team had a lot of guys who were year 
11 and year 10, which meant come 2010, our team was pretty similar. And so the expectation was what? That we're going to go on and, and keep on winning, yes? And the season sort of got underway and, and things were going swimmingly. Like we were winning our games. Uh, we were, we'd, teams would come in, we'd just knock them off and we'd move on to the next week. But I knew something wasn't quite right because something had shifted culturally. Because in 2009, we were the underdogs and no one expected us to win. And in 2010, all of a sudden, the intensity that the boys were training at, the work the boys were doing, something about their attitude was just a little bit off. And so even though we were winning, something had shifted and I just felt a bit uncomfortable. So I organised a scratch match against a school who I knew was pretty good and who I knew that we were going to, to play later on when we got to the, the finals, the state champ finals. I thought, let's, let's just see where we're at truly. And so my boys rocked into this game at, at Scotch College, ready to play. And they were like, they thought they were the bee's knees. You know, we haven't lost in six months. They're all rock, they're, they rock in late. They've got their swagger about them. They're listening to their music. They're mucking around. Scotch are in there just disciplined, organised, ready to go. We started that game and within about two minutes, you could tell we're in trouble. We ended that game and we'd lost by 40 points. We got absolutely smacked. And so what I did at the end of that game, we sat, I wanted to yell at them. I'll tell you what, I wanted to yell. I chose not to yell. I paused, I sat down with them and I remember saying to them, I said, you know what, boys? Sometimes... Sometimes, I actually wrote this down because I wrote it down then to make sure because I knew it was coming. Sometimes in life, it takes a loss to help us remember what first brought us victory. Let me say that again. Sometimes in life, it takes a loss to help us remember what first brought us victory. Then I monologued for a bit. If I'm honest, I monologued. And then we called a team meeting. And the next day we came back and I asked, them, I asked them four questions. Here's the questions I asked. One, what has happened? Two, why did we lose? Three, what brought us success in the past? And four, how do we get back on track? As I read Joshua 7 this week, those questions came tumbling straight back to me. And I thought, one, what has happened here? Two, why did they lose? Three, what brought them success at the Jordan and Jericho? And four, what do they need to learn here in chapter seven to get back to where they're supposed to be? Because you can't read chapter seven, you can't read it with any degree of depth and not be shocked by this. Too often we read the Bible and we just skim through it. We think, all right, the walls came down at Jericho. They walked around seven times, blew a trumpet. Yay, Chapter seven, oh, they, they lost to I. Oh, let's go to chapter eight. Oh, they beat I, fantastic. And we, we lose sight of the significance of seven. We wanna jump to eight without sitting in seven, but seven's in here for a reason. And the reason it's in here is because God wants to teach us a lesson through seven. That there's stuff that we as the church today need to learn and there's stuff that Israel needed to learn because sometimes it takes a loss to remember what initially brought you victory. 
Something has happened to Israel that if we just breeze through seven, we'll miss. But as we dive into seven, you're gonna see some warning signs. They're warning signs to Israel and they're warning signs to us. They're warning signs to us as a church about how are we walking with Jesus? Where are our hearts at before the Lord? How's our posture before God? And will we be walking in the victory that He has bought for us at the cross? There's no way that Israel should lose to I. You know, in a culture where, where names speak to identity, Jericho means city of the moon. And you're looking at me like, well, what does that mean? It literally, it's like an impenetrable fortress, a city on the moon. Who's gonna conquer a city on the moon? No one, all right? We're not just flying up to the moon. It, it means this is literally an impenetrable fortress that no one will conquer and Israel conquered it by walking around it. Do you know what I means? A pile of ruins. So they've gone from the impenetrable fortress, the city on the moon, and then they've looked upon a pile of ruins with a handful of people and something's happened. They've gone from winning the championship and something about their success has given them delusion, the delusion of self-sufficiency. And so we dive into seven, you're gonna see a few warnings. And in good Baptist fashion, I've got three lessons. Three lessons from the loss in seven. Are you ready? Here's your first lesson. Number one, stay humble. When we read chapter seven, you've got to understand that Joshua doesn't have verse one. Verse one is the narrator filling us in on the background as we read the chapter, but that's not, Joshua doesn't have verse one. In Joshua's mind, they've defeated Jericho and for Joshua, it's verse two. Right Now Joshua sent men. Joshua doesn't know verse one has happened. So Joshua sends men from Jericho, from the city on the moon to the pile of ruins, which is near Beth Avon, the east of Beth. He says, go spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out. Aye. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army needs to go. Just send a few thousand men. We'll take care of them. It's gonna be all right. So Joshua's like, okay, sends a few thousand men. And then about 36 of them die. And they come running back with their tails between their legs. Let me show you something. The plan in Jericho, the plan in Jericho was what? Send the spies, send the spies, wait upon the Lord. Yes, pray, wait upon God, get a plan, walk in victory. You missed it. Let me say it again. The plan in Jericho the plan in Jericho, right, was send the spies, wait upon the Lord, pray, seek His face, get a plan, walk in victory. The plan in I, send the spies, make a plan. Come on, somebody. Send the spies, make a plan, take a loss. And then Joshua comes to waiting upon the Lord. What's happened? I know it's cold. You're gonna to have to wake up this morning. Come on, someone. They missed a step. What is the step that they missed? Waiting upon the Lord. 
What's the most important step? Waiting upon the Lord. Something happened with Israel. You see, they went from Jericho and they looked upon a pile of ruins and a voice within them said, we've got this. And their entire journey up until that point had always been, we're the underdog. We do not have this. Our victory will only come from the Lord. But because they looked upon I, because they had this thought, nah, we've got this, they went without waiting. And when you go without waiting upon the Lord, you're in trouble. Anytime that you start making decisions without prayerful discernment, it's dangerous. And we need to be a people who are prayerfully discerning every decision. And so the first lesson to us is we stay humble and prayer waiting upon God is a sure sign that we are humble before the Lord. Humble's not thinking of uh, less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. That's what humility is. And so humility, when we pray, it's showing that I don't have the answers. I don't have the capacity even to overthrow I, a pile of ruins. I need the Lord. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna wait upon the Lord. I'm gonna get a word from the Lord and then I'm gonna obey that word from the Lord no matter what it might be. Humility will cause us to pray. We know that pride is rising and pride is, pride is creeping in when we stop praying because when we stop praying, it shows that we genuinely believe somewhere within ourselves that we don't need God's wisdom. But when we're prayerful, it reminds us that we need the Lord in all things. This is why the Bible says pray without ceasing. It says pray about Come on now, someone can preach this for me. Pray about everything. Do we pray about everything? How's our posture before the Lord? We gotta pray. There's a second little warning sign in here that, that pride is rising up in Israel's hearts. One, they didn't pray. Two, two watch this, where it says, send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army. Now, Bible readers know there's a problem there. Because in Joshua chapter one and at the end of Deuteronomy, the Lord specifically commanded the tribe of Gad, the Reubenites and the half tribe of Manasseh who had land on the other side of the Jordan that they had to cross the Jordan with Israel because Israel had to fight their battles together. It didn't say fight some of your battles together. It said fight your battles together. And so all of Israel crossed, so all of Israel could go to battle, which means even I. And so there's a problem here because the people have believed that they don't need what God told them, they'll do it their way. And when we stop doing things God's way and start doing things our way, there's trouble. So they only send a few thousand men, but by sending a few thousand men, they are in direct violation of the command of God. So Israel in this moment have actually sinned. They've allowed pride to rise up. Humility is so key for us if we are to walk in victory, amen? We gotta be a people who stay humble before the Lord. Prayer is that guard against pride and we need each other. You know that pride is rising up in your heart when you think you don't need anybody else. The reason that Jason and Jess get up here and dedicate their child in the church 
is because they're saying we need our brothers and sisters. Yes, we need our brothers and sisters. If we ever think that we've just got this on our own, it shows that we're putting ourselves before the Lord because the Lord specifically, constantly, over and over again, speaks about the value of community. It's why we're called to gather. It's why we're called to not give up meeting together because we need each other. We need each other to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to call each other up and out when we're feeling down. We need each other. That is God's way, so we should always do it together. Community is a kingdom thing. So let's be a people who live and walk and run in community. Amen? We gotta stay humble. That's the first lesson. Second lesson, and this is what brings us to Achan. Second lesson is we have to be faithful with the first fruits. Faithful with the first fruits. Go to verse six. Then, everyone say then. I said everyone say then. We gotta wake up this morning, church. Then... Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, the presence of God remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. So it's after the loss that Joshua's reminded, oh, that's right, I forgot to pray. It's never too late. There's a great lesson in there about Joshua's heart. It's never too late. He comes, he humbles himself, he prays. The elders of Israel go with him. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? I love that his heart is for the Lord's name, not for himself. Verse 10, watch this. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. I imagine this one, you know, the old snap, like stand up. Quit your whinging. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? He's like, well, if you just came to me before, instead of making your plans without me, none of this would have happened. The reason you lost is because you didn't come to me first. Now you're coming to me. Get up and I'll talk to you and I'll show you what's going on. Stand up. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them. Notice it says, Israel, they, them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. And now Joshua finds out about verse one. Because God goes on and he starts to reveal that it's over the course of time, they, they draw lots and eventually Achan is exposed. And all of a sudden, Joshua realises what's going on here. He realises that Israel have not been faithful with 
the first fruits. What do we mean by first fruits? To understand that, you've got to go back to chapter 6. Because in Joshua 6, verse 18 and 19, God commanded this, as they're about to overthrow Jericho, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. So there'd been a command that there's some first fruits because Jericho was the first city in the promised land. The first city that Israel was gonna conquer, right? And so God, God says the first city, the first, everyone say first, the first city I give you is mine. And all the devoted things, all the sacred things, all the treasury, all of that comes to me because it's the first and it's mine. And so you gotta bring that to me and you don't keep any of it for yourself. But Achan, as you keep reading chapter seven, we realise that Achan, he saw, it says that he saw a Babylonian robe, he saw some silver and he saw some gold. And as he saw these things, it says he coveted them in his heart and then he took them for himself and then he covered them under his tent. He dug a hole and he put them under there. And so Achan coveted, he kept, and then he covered. Everyone else gave of the first fruit but Achan. And yet in the Lord's eyes, because they're a community, all of Israel has sinned. All of Israel has walked and forsaken the call and command of God. We need to be faithful with the first fruits. Friends, it's about to get... Well, it's already quiet in here, but it's gonna get even quieter in here. This is why God commands His people to tithe. No one's saying amen. This is why God says, give me the tithe, the first 10%, the first fruits, because He wants just us to understand that everything we have is a gift from Him that we haven't acquired any of that wealth for ourselves. He says, no, give it back to me. It is the first fruit and it is mine. It's mine. Give it to me. Bring it to me. And some of you are saying, Dave, that's preaching law. No, it's not law. Read your Bibles. It's an Abrahamic covenant promise. The tithe is not a Mosaic law. The tithe is an Abrahamic promise where Abraham meets Melchizedek and because he's blessed, he gives 10%. And the same is true for us. When we understand that we are blessed, we give back out of what God has given to us. It's a sign of our first fruit offering unto the Lord. And it's precious to Him and it's important to Him, so much so that when Achan doesn't bring it, this is the language he says, they have stolen. Achan could say, well, I found it. I took it, I grabbed it. And the Lord says, no, you've stolen it from me. This is mine. It's mine. It's like Malachi says, will a man rob God? When God commands the first fruits, He takes that very seriously, calls us to be faithful with it. Why? Couple of reasons. Here's what the first fruits guards against. It guards against materialism, consumerism, and narcissism. 
Achan sees it and he covets. He says, I want, that's materialism. We live in a world, online shopping, anyone? Anybody? Scroll through, I want, I want, I want, I want. He sees and he covets, that's materialism. I see something that I want. And we live in a world where materialism is pushed, 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 pushed. But there's something about the first fruit. When we are a people who give of the first fruit, it guards against the materialistic spirit. Because instead of us buying into that and saying, yeah, 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 I want, I want, I want, we go, no, no, God gives, God gives, God gives. And therefore I give. So the first fruit guards against materialism. Number two, consumerism. Achan says, I want, he sees, he covets, and then he takes. What does the consumeristic spirit do? Take, 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 take. It's not just I want, it's I get. And it's not just money, it's not just finance, it's everything. We see it even in the church. Does that meet my needs? Then I'll sit. If it doesn't, I'm out. We see it in families, we see it in relationships. Are they meeting my need right now? If not, I'm out. That's a consumeristic spirit and the first fruit offering guards against it because instead of me taking, I'm giving. This is why one of our core values is that we'd be generous, that we'd be servant-hearted, that we'd be a people who, who pour out out of that which God has given us, that we, we serve before we take. Amen? We serve before we take. Number three, narcissism, I bury. It's, narcissism is a selfish spirit. What does what Achan gain? He got this brand new Babylonian robe. It's a beautiful robe because I know what I'll do with it. I'll dig a hole and I'll put it under my tent. Anyone? He gets silver and gold. He goes, I know what I'll do with it. I'll dig a hole and I'll bury it under my tent. He can't do anything with it. He can't show anybody. He can't use it for any value whatsoever other than that he knows that it's his and it's nobody else's. And that's a narcissistic spirit. It's a selfish spirit. It's, it's, it's about me and no one else. Right? The rest of Israel's poured out and given to the Lord because He's just given them great victory. And Achan says, no, this is about me. And a me spirit will infect a we community. One me spirit will have a dangerous impact on the we. That's why God says, Israel, they. There's no place for narcissism, but a first fruit offering guards against narcissism because again, it's saying it's not about me, it's about Him and it's about all these other peoples. We all bring our first fruit, then God will bring an abundance out of that. Burying something makes sense if it's a seed. It makes no sense if it's a suit. Achan buries a suit and God says, no, when you give of the first fruit, I'll turn it into seed. Come on, someone, we're quiet today. Achan buries a suit, God says, give it to me and I'll make it a seed and I'll bring about a harvest a hundredfold, amen? Are you with me? Hello, church. I know we're talking about money, but this is important that we've got to catch this. We've got to catch the first fruit. Be faithful with the first fruit. 
Because watch what happens. Chapter 7 becomes chapter 8. And we'll get to chapter 8 next week. Do you know what happens in chapter 8? Do you know what the command of God to Israel is in chapter 8? You keep the plunder. You bring me the first fruit and guess what? I'll give you an abundance. You show me that your heart is not materialistic, not consumeristic, not narcissistic, and I will pour out blessing upon you because you are humble before me. You have subjected yourselves to my authority and my governance and my rule and my lordship. And the first fruit is a symbol and a sign and a physical act of doing exactly that. Now watch the blessing I'll pour out on the house of Israel. And if Achan had just known the character of God, if he just understood that God's heart is not to take but to give, but to pour out blessing, he's literally just seen God part waters and break down walls and he still doesn't understand the character of God. If we know the character of God, then the first fruits will flow because we know who He is and we know His love for us. Let's not be a people who covet, keep and cover, but let's be a people who give generously of the first fruits in every area of our life. And here's one question. Here's how we know. Here's how we know where we're going. Let me ask you one question. Is wealth a toy or is it a tool? You can write that down and reflect on that and pray on it. Is wealth a toy or a tool? If it's a toy, there's an A-can. If it's a tool, then we know we're in the right place. Lessons from the loss. Last one, Benj, you can come up and we'll close. But the last thing we see, the last lesson from the loss in I is the seriousness of sin and the cost of salvation. Go with me to verse 24. So Joshua prays, he says, God, what do you wanna do? God says to Joshua, it's about time you prayed. He then says, consecrate the people. Achan is exposed through the whole thing. There's a whole nother message there about Achan hiding stuff and you can watch the going deeper that we did because I talked a bit about that and the going deeper. So watch that. But verse 24, then Joshua together with all Israel took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Accor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? Achan means troubler. The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him and after they had stoned the rest, they burned him. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Accor ever since. It seems harsh, don't you think? From a guy who took a robe, some silver and a bit of gold. Anyone read that and go, man, that's, that's pretty intense. Anyone? Like I read that, I'm like, that seems awfully harsh, Lord, because it's not like Joshua was perfect. It's not like the rest of Israel haven't had their error. It's not like others haven't made mistakes and sinned. Why this? And it's because there's a lesson here. And it's not just a lesson to Israel. It's actually a prophetic word 
to the people of God for generations to come about the seriousness of sin and about the cost of salvation. Because remember, Joshua is a messianic type and sin here is dealt with through death. Sin causes destruction. It takes us out of the call of God. And the only way that sin can be dealt with is death. What does it remind you of? What does it point to, church? It's a picture of how God will deal with sin. God deals with sin. Joshua's like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get back in favour with you? God's like, I'm gonna expose the sin and then I'm gonna deal with it. And He deals with it through Joshua by destroying Achan. But here's the thing, each and every one of us are Achan. Every single one of us make mistakes. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. We are all Achan. But Jesus is the prophetic Joshua. Jesus is the Messianic person, the the, the person that Joshua points to. And, And rather than God destroying all of us, what He does, He says that the cost is still there. There's a cost for salvation. And that sin has to die. But instead of destroying all of humanity, He sends His Son, Jesus, and He pours out that wrath. He pours out the cost upon His Son so that we can walk in the freedom that Israel walked in. This is an incredible picture of God's, of God's grace. It's a picture of all that He, was, he would do in the future that yes, We need to take sin seriously. And I, Robin, preached beautifully on this last week. Sin is a serious thing. And if it gets its claws into us, if we allow this stuff to get a hold of us and we will walk in our own destruction, we are to take sin seriously. But the thing is, God took it so seriously that He sent His Son and He died on a cross that we might know life. And so our job is to die to self. Yeah, to die to that selfish, sinful nature and say, I don't want this anymore and then come alive in Christ as Christ gave everything for us that we would know true life. And here's the question for us as a church, as you go into school holidays and back to the week, how often do we pause and reflect on the magnitude of what this cost God? How often do we pause and actually think about our salvation and actually go, man, that was the cost. That's what He bought me. That was the price that it it took. How often do we do that? I think we go about our week so often, we're just left, right. We, We go about it every day. What if we pause and said, wow, I deserve to be under the pile of rubble with Achan, but instead I get to kneel at the cross and thank God that I'm alive. And not just alive now, but alive for all of eternity, that I walk in freedom because He has set me free. That the curse of sin and death has been cancelled at the cross. That death no longer has mastery over us, church. Where, O death, is your sting? It's gone. Why is it gone? Because Jesus dealt with it in a way that Joshua never could. Israel kept on sinning after they dealt with Achan. 
but Jesus has made a way that there no longer needs to be each of us under a pile of stones because He became the memorial for all of us. That if we would remember what He's done, then we would walk in freedom and it would dramatically change our lives forever. It would make the first fruits easy. It would make humility easy because you can't be proud in the presence of, a, of the living God of heaven hanging on a cross. There's no pride in that. There's just joy and humility that says, wow, look what you've done for me. That is what chapter 7 reminds us of. And as we grasp that, and this is what Israel grasps it. And then they carry on, as we'll find out, walking in the victory, getting back to doing things God's ways and chasing after the things of God. So I want to invite you to stand. just a minute, we're going to sing an old song, but it's a goodie. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And as we sing this, let this be a response, not just a song. Let this be a moment where we reflect upon the fact of all that God has done for us in Christ. Look at Achan, look at that and say, man, that's me. But look at what God has done that we don't have to walk in the curse of Achan, but we walk in the blessing of Christ. And we walk in the blessing of the cross and the freedom of the cross. And let's take a moment as a church to simply just thank Him for it, yes? Thank Him from the bottom of our hearts that He has delivered us and He's worthy of praise. Let me pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God that sometimes You allow a chapter seven so that we can learn some lessons to take us through to chapter eight. I thank You, Lord, that You you teach us, that You are kind, that You are good, that You are generous and gentle, but You are a holy God and You are a consuming fire. And there are things that are serious and things that are important to Your heart. And Lord, I pray that You would put them in us, that we would grasp them and that we would run in them knowing how blessed we are that we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We love You, we praise You, and yes, we worship You for Your salvation, which avails for our sin. We thank You, Lord, in Jesus' Name. And all God's children said, Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.